Good afternoon, this is Jennifer Scheich with Ask ACES. We just finished a great chat today with Dr. Patrick Trannell and Dr. Aaron Hager from the Department of Crop Sciences here at the University of Illinois. And today we talked about the science behind herbicide resistant weeds. And so we're just really thankful that you guys took time out of your busy schedule to come visit with, with us today. I guess to start things off, a big question that I want to begin with is herbicide resistance. Who cares and, and why does it matter? Really one of the important factors to consider around herbicide resistance is that it really relates to the economics of production systems. A lot of people think about herbicide resistance from the standpoint of increasing expenditures for other weed control tools and tactics. And sometimes we'll lose sight of the fact if we're not able to control the weeds, and really regardless of if they're resistant or not, then the crop variety or the hybrid that we've selected and planted in any particular field is simply never going to yield up to its genetic yield potential. So I guess another way to think about it is that weed scientists really don't do anything to increase a farmer's yield. We're really in the yield preservation business because weeds, whether they're resistant or not resistant, really only work to reduce that genetic yield potential of the crop. And so herbicide resistance, of course, just adds another layer of complexity in terms of trying to manage these unwanted species that we have in the fields in order for the corn crop, the soybean crop, the wheat crop, whatever the crop is, to express that genetic yield potential put there by the plant breeders. Thanks, Dr. Hager. Dr. Trannell, what are some of the mechanisms in weeds that allow them to resist herbicides? Well, the, the cool thing about herbicide resistance from a scientist's perspective is that there's tremendous genetic diversity in our weed species. Herbicides provide tremendous selection pressure, and the consequence of that is that these weeds have, if I can use the phrase, they come up with multiple mechanisms, multiple ways to deal with this heavy selection pressure. So we have examples of changes in the target site of the herbicide, so which is typically an enzyme, so the plant will have a mutation in the gene that encodes that enzyme, which causes the herb prevents the enzyme from binding the herbicide and thereby making the plant essentially not see the herbicide, so it's resistant in that way. Another mechanism is where the plant will actually amplify the number of copies of the gene encoding that enzyme. So rather than producing one copy of that or having one copy of that gene and producing a small amount of the enzyme, it has maybe 10 or more copies of that gene to produce a large amount of that enzyme. Another mechanism is uh, metabolism, which is increasingly common in many of our weeds where we see where, where the plant accumulates various enzymes that are able to break down and detoxify that herbicide. One of the concerns or, or the issues here is that there's not just a single mechanism that weeds can come up with to, to avoid herbicides. If there was just a single mechanism, if all our resistance was due to target site changes, we could have specific herbicide use practices in place to try to overcome that type of resistance. But the fact that we have these varied mechanisms makes it really hard to predict and manage the resistance. So to continue on that, um, are some weeds better at evolving resistance than others? Yes, for sure. Some of the weeds that, the characteristics of a weed that makes it good at evolving resistance would include things like how many seeds it reproduces. Obviously, the more of an individual there are, the more genetic diversity there will be. I, I sort of touched on it there with my phrase there, the genetic diversity of that species is very important. Some weeds have greater genetic diversity than others, and that is in large part due to the reproductive biology of that species. For example, species like water hemp and palmer amaranth that we're very familiar with here in the Midwest, um, they're outcrossing weeds. And so that outcrossing causes the or results in the pollen move, moving from population from population or from field to field, changing and, and exchanging genetic information. Horseweed or mare's tail is another weed that has 
the ability to move its seed around by wind, which is a good way for it to disseminate resistance traits, and that also increases its ability as a weed to evolve resistance. So I guess in summary, it'd be the, the reproductive output and then the genetic diversity, which is uh, due to the reproductive biology of that species. Dr. Hager, what are some of the biggest um, problem weeds here in Illinois? Well, with respect to the weed species here in Illinois that have been documented to be resistant to at least one class of herbicides, we have somewhere 11 or 12 unique species. Uh, certainly, this is not anything that, that's new to Illinois. Some of the first examples of resistance now are probably 40 to 50 years old. But recently, and, and by recently, probably within the last uh, 15 to 20 years, a couple of species really have risen to the top, so to speak, in terms of either frequency of resistance around the state or the challenge that these species do now pose in terms of trying to effectively manage them chemically. Uh, one that Dr. Trano just mentioned would be mare's tail or horseweed. Uh, becoming more and more common and progressively seeing more and more challenges with trying to manage this species farther north in the state every year. But year in and year out, oh, probably for about the last 15 to 20 years, I think water hemp by, by far and away has uh, been the most challenging herbicide-resistant weed that we have had here in the state of Illinois. Uh, it's a species, obviously, that's very it's indigenous to Illinois. It's always been here, but really in a relatively short period of time from an evolutionary standpoint, you know, 15, 20 years ago, very, very few people even in Illinois even knew or recognized what water hemp was. And nowadays, you know, here we are sitting in 2017, and if you would survey most people in the state of Illinois involved in production agriculture, very unlikely to find very many who don't recognize what this species is. And so from a resistance standpoint, this one by far and away has been the one that we spent a, a huge amount of time both in extension activities and research activities looking at the species and the challenges that the various mechanisms of resistance that tend to accumulate in the species are now uh, posing to Illinois farmers. So Dr. Channel, what are some of the chemistries left to use on herbicide-resistant water hemp or Palmer amaranth? We should be careful in answering that question very generally. One of the things we're trying to you know, help our farmers to understand is you can't just use a one-size-fits-all across all our acreage. So it would be unfair for me to say that herbicide A, B, and C you shouldn't use anymore, and herbicide D, E, and F you should use. It depends on your field. So, for example, we know glyphosate resistance is very common in both of those species, but that doesn't mean every farmer has glyphosate-resistant water hemp or glyphosate-resistant palmer on every field. So they really need to take sort of a prescription approach and know what herbicide resistances they have what weeds they have and what resistances they have in those weeds. But specifically to answer the question, we do know that in general, we have more resistance to our post-emergence herbicide uh, products that we would be using on water hemp or palmer amaranth, and we have less resistance to our pre-emergence. So many of our pre-emergence herbicides, things like the chlorocetamide herbicides, are very effective for the most part on many of our water hemp and palmer populations in that we don't have resistance to those herbicides. Uh, in terms of post-emergence products, uh, there is some resistance known to 2,4-D in water hemp, but that is quite rare at this point. And so most water hemp populations and palmers well remain susceptible to 2,4-D. Uh, glufosinate, uh, we also know, um, is, is remains effective on, on all of our, most all of our water hemp and palmer amaranth populations. So Dr. Hager, what are farmers doing to manage resistance? 
Practices to manage resistance can really depend upon if you're being uh, more proactive or you're actually being reactive. And we've tried to stress for years that in the long run, from an investment standpoint, you're going to realize a larger return on your investment by being proactive than if the weed biology forces you now to be more reactive. Really, the message to success around herbicide resistance is really about diversifying the tools and the tactics that you're using. As Dr. Trannell just indicated, there's no one-size-fits-all approach in terms of trying to effectively manage the resistant populations. But in general, you know, the more diversity that we can introduce into our systems, the better off in the long run that we can we can actually be. Now, diversity doesn't have to be the same on every field. It doesn't have to necessarily be the same across every farmer. There are instances where perhaps the introduction of, of tillage practice, a, a post-plant tillage operation, might be a good effective tool in some scenarios. But of course, then on highly erodible ground, that probably would not be something that we would like to see happen. Uh, managing in the soil seed bank, of course, is going to be one that I think we're going to uh, increase our focus on both from a ex- uh, research standpoint as well as an extension promotion standpoint to try to reduce the amount of seed that's actually returned into our soil seed banks because uh, many of our most problematic species, you know, for example, the water hemp and the mare's tail, the seed longevity of those species in the soil seed bank is generally much, much shorter than the longevity of some of our other species that we have in the state. Dr. Trano, what do you foresee as new developments or challenges regarding herbicide-resistant weeds? An ongoing challenge that we're dealing with is the multiple resistance. I think we alluded to earlier where these weeds are, they evolve resistance to one herbicide and then they evolve resistance to a second herbicide and a third herbicide. We now have in Illinois a water hemp population that has resistance to herbicides spanning five different modes of action. And so when you have these populations, you as a farmer, your hands are really tied in terms of what herbicide you can use. So we're going to continue to see this, the stacking of resistances, limiting of options. Along with that is the fact that we don't see new herbicides coming into the market like we used to see 20 years ago that would you know, when we had resistance 20 years ago if we had a resistance problem well company com- industry would offer us a new herbicide but we're not seeing that now um, I think the other challenge re- related to that is, is metabolic based resistance where the herbic- or the weeds are accumulating genes that are able to or enzymes that are able to detoxify the herbicides and the, the challenge with this is that an enzyme that can metabolize herbicide A may be able to also metabolize herbicide B, even though that plant has never seen herbicide B before. So this multiple and unpredictable cross resistance or multiple resistance is really making it difficult to control weeds with our, with our current par- paradigm of even using herbicide-centric approaches. I'll just add to just a one other thought or comment to that, and it really, I think, highlights what Dr. Trammell just just said. It really highlights the importance that to be more proactive. And, and in other words, if you had a field, if you had more than one field where resistance has not yet become a, a significant challenge for you, if we're not going to see many new tools in the near foreseeable future, if we're not going to have a new herbicide jug to open up and pour in the tank, I think it really, again, reinforces and highlights the fact if we can slow off the evolution of the resistance in any particular field, in the long run, I think that's going to pay tremendous returns to us if we don't, if we aren't forced ultimately to make some very significant changes in our practice because the resistance did evolve. So besides herbicides, what other strategies can we use? You know, the the key to managing resistance is to diversify your strategies. Um, Weeds will evolve resistance to any strategy. 
not just herbicides, even hand weeding. Weeds have been known to evolve resistance to hand weeding. So really the key is to diversify your strategies, use multiple strategies. And what are the specifics? And the other thing we have to realize is herbicides are extremely effective and we're probably not going to, I can't give you another strategy, a non-herbicide strategy that's going to give you 99% weed control like a herbicide will. So you really have to accept the fact and understand the fact that these other strategies that we talk about, like crop rotation, like using cover crops, they're not going to, they're not going to give you 90% control. They're going to control maybe 10% of the population. The idea here you want to think about is use lots of little hammers. One thing might reduce, one strategy might reduce the population 10%, another strategy might reduce it 10%. And by adding lots of these strategies together, you can reduce your reliance on using those herbicides for your weed control. The other thing you need to think about is the soil seed bank. You know, ultimately, you can't just think about weed management on a year-to-year basis where I need to control the weeds that are in my field this year because they're causing yield loss. Those weeds are also setting seed that are going to cause you problems in future, year, future years. So thinking about that seed bank, how can you manage that seed bank? How can you reduce the size of that seed bank? How can you limit new seeds going into that seed bank? And so a specific example of that would be things like the Harrington Seed Destruction, Harrington Seed Destructor, which is used in Australia. Uh, there's researchers now in the U.S. that are looking at investigating the use of this. But basically what it is, it's a, a machine that you pull behind a combine where the, the seed that's harvested, the weed seed that's harvested with that combine is directed into the, the seed destructor, which physically grinds up the seed and prevents new seed from from going into your seed bank. Again, that's not a silver bullet. That's not going to give you 95% weed control, and that in and of itself will not solve your weed weed management problems. But that's another tool that you can add in addition to your herbicides, in addition to your crop rotation, to help manage the weeds. So ultimately, what has to happen to overcome the challenge of herbicide-resistant weeds? Dr. Hager? I think ultimately we, we really have to rethink about the idea of simply controlling weeds and perhaps maybe give uh, more consideration to how we better manage these populations. You know, the idea that we can have a new technology that, let's say, 5 or 10 or 15 years from now may be as effective as what glyphosate once was. Well, let's say hypothetically we have that, and if we use that new tool like we have used all the other ones that we've evolved resistance to, there's really no reason or no evidence that would suggest that ultimately, you know, the populations would ultimately re- evolve resistance to the new material. So again, recognizing the fact we realize, you know, Illinois is a very large state in terms of the number of acres that we have, but there's a lot of other things that we can consider that we can diversify, which in order to overcome this problem, it's an evolutionary issue. It's, it's not necessarily something that, uh, you know, is, is just unique to weed science. We see these same evolutionary principles involved in the evolution of resistance to insecticides and fungicides. So it just so happens, of course, weeds are very, very noticeable across the landscape. So again, a lot of things that we can do, one size fits all across the entire state or Midwest, certainly not. But again, as Dr. Trannell indicated, perhaps using a lot of little hammers in the long run is going to be much more sustainable than any one big hammer. If I could add just a little to that, there's there's basically two outcomes. If you use herbicides, if, if we just use herbicides to control weeds, resistance will happen. We, we know that. It's evolution. It happens. And so that means there's two scenarios. One, either in order for herbicides to work, we either have to have the companies continue to supply us with new herbicides, which does not look likely, or we're going to have to use other strategies to augment our herbicidal control. And so I think really, you know, the answer to your question, what has to happen is that farmers have to become less dependent on herbicides and incorporate other weed management strategies. Great. Thank you guys so much. We really appreciate the time that you took today. Again, just finished a great Ask Aces with Dr. Aaron Hager, Associate Professor of Extension Weed Science, and Dr. Pat Trannell, Professor of Molecular Weed Science, here in the Department of Crop Sciences at the University of Illinois.